You're listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast's Financial Friday, a dedicated show about how to apply principled theory to a financial strategy, getting you one step closer to financial freedom. Hey, everyone. This is uh, Patrick Donahoe. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast, Financial Friday. And this is uh, going to be a good one. I'm here. If you guys are actually watching video, I'm here with my good pal, Will A. Street. Hey, how's it hey, going? How you doing, Will? Good, good. It's been... A while? Been a while since I've been on, on the podcast. You better not be rusty, man. Better not be rusty. Dude, there's no such thing as rusty with kidding. me. <laughs> no, you're good. It's going to be a fun one because we're going to talk really about kind of the context of some of the guests we've had on so far for Financial Friday. And uh, we're actually going to review an article probably as a part two. So it'll come out maybe the next week that really kind of helps us prove or hit home some of these points. But I look at finance and I look at it from probably a different perspective than most. And I think you're starting to grasp that. I mean, you Mm -hmm. had obviously a legal background and practiced in the financial sector as an attorney, right? right? Which gave you a perspective. And then obviously being here for what, four years now? Five years? Five years. Five years. Yeah. You know, you've worked with a lot of individuals personally, but Mm -hmm. you've also heard things about, you know, the situations of people when it comes to finances and helped you kind of, you know, fine tune perspective when it comes to what financial success is and what it isn't. So maybe talk to that briefly. Like, What have you seen as the reasoning behind what creates success for people financially and what gets them into trouble? Yeah. Gets them to make bad investment decisions or financial decisions? Sure. Well, I just finished reading the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Yeah, that's if you've read one. that one, yeah. it's really good. That guy's so intimidating. You can um, hear him speak. It's like, oh. yeah. I, and I read slash listened to it. So oh, I cool. had it yeah, yeah. and then I listened to the audible version driving into work. But the whole kind of premise behind extreme ownership is you own everything. If there's something within your sphere of influence, right? As a leader, yeah. you know I mean, he's talking about it from Leadership. the Navy SEALs perspective. Yeah. You don't cast blame on other people. You own it. It's your responsibility, your stewardship. Exactly. So if something isn't going right, don't point fingers at somebody else. Mm -hmm. Look at what you could have done better to improve the outcome, right? And so to go back to your question, I think so many people nowadays are passive when it comes to what they do financially. Mm -hmm. They just assume that somebody else, whether it's the government or Wall Street or businesses or whomever has their best interest at heart. And they're competent to give them the advice that they should trust. Exactly. And so, uh uh-oh, things didn't go so well. And immediately they look outward to try and cast blame on somebody else, right? And so the kind of my philosophy that has evolved over time is this idea that, man, if I want to get somewhere financially or if client wants to get somewhere financially, dude, it's got to start with us, right? It's got to start with what we know, with what we understand, with what our objectives are, And actually putting together a game plan to get there. And it's no one's responsibility more than it is our own, right? And so that's something that I didn't understand the notion of extreme ownership, obviously, in the beginning. But I think as people get into trouble, it has to do with not taking an active role in what they do financially and Mm -hmm. just making assumptions that things will fall into place a certain way, that somebody else is looking out for their best interests. Mm -hmm. And them not doing nearly what they need to do to take ownership of their own. Yeah, it's interesting. Situation. And that's the, you know, you got to realize that all human beings, you know, number one, we were fallible, yeah. right? And we all have opinion and we all have perspective, right? And opinion and perspective, I guess, can kind of go hand in hand. But individuals tend to delegate responsibility right. to others, especially when it comes to things that they don't understand, right? Right. Because it's easy. I mean, that's kind of like the easy button. If they're competent, they have experience. 
and you don't have to go through the trouble of learning everything. It makes common sure. sense, right? But that's where most people get in trouble. And so I look at, okay, what do you do, right? So if you don't have all the time in the world to study every single financial decision that you make, so what's the route you take? Because on this show, right, we've had mm-hmm. this year, you know, we've had individuals that represent commodity type of investment. We've sure. had, you know, Gene Guarino, who I've known for know a Gene. long time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, oh yeah, that's right. You guys yeah. went and spoke at his conference. Yeah. Residential system. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he has a new fund and investment in, you know, a really cool niche part of the real estate industry, right? Yeah. And we've also had, you know, node investing guys in here. If you go to the Cashflow Wealth Summit, right? And the first presentation of Financial Fridays was actually my presentation last year at the Cashflow Wealth Summit, which kind of hits on a lot of this where, you know, we have the hierarchy of wealth, right? Which Mm -hmm. helps to really categorize where investments are. And a lot of the categorization has to do with what you understand or the degree of certainty and control that you have over whatever the financial decision is, wherever the asset is. In the Cashflow Wealth Summit, you have you know, we've had, man, every type of real estate investing you can think of, right? Flip, right. we've had Flip Nerd on, you know, yeah. Mike Cambright on there. We've had, you mobile know, buying whole guys. We've had mobile yeah. home stuff. Angela Noy was on, you know, this year yep. as well for Financial Fridays. You know, so these are all sorts of investment ideas, their perspectives, their little niches that people have, and they're presenting opportunities, right? Right. But you and I both know that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there that don't end up the way that they were intended, right? (laughs) And so that's where I've tried to really hit on this notion of, okay, instead of just asking about the details, the features and benefits of the actual underlying investment, it's also to start to look into, you know, the business itself, the operations, the people involved, because that's really where it starts to fall apart. But I think there's some other things that you can do, right? Yeah. And that's where, you know, how I look at finance is, I never try to discount anything, right? Because- what somebody claims or somebody says is their perspective. Now, right. I don't say you're right and I trust you. Okay. I say, okay, that's an interesting perspective and that's valuable to me regardless of what the perspective is. Sure. And then I start to ask some questions right, right. Uh, about it and verify really if it's a valid piece of advice, if it's a valid claim or not. Right. And that's where you know we've used the three sides of the coin, right? Where you have heads, tails, and the edge. Heads is one opinion. Tails is the other opinion, and then the edge is where you sit, really, to make the most informed decision, right? right? So, as you've you know looked at investment opportunities and made financial decisions for yourself, okay, what are some of the things that you do consistently that you know helps you make an informed decision? I think the kind of the image that I have in mind, you know, as you were talking about the Cashflow Wealth Summit, I mean, it really is kind of this financial buffet, right? Of just all sorts of different options and different, you know, strategies and tools and experts and companies and and things like that. And I think what most people or what a lot of people tend to do when it comes to their finances is they've got their tray and they take a little scoop of this, they take a little scoop of that, they take a little scoop of this, and then they kind of get back to their table Mm -hmm. and then start to kind of dig into it. But it it really has no rhyme or reason to it. There's Mm -hmm. no forethought given to to what they're actually going to do and how these various elements might interact with each other, right? It goes back to your point about everyone has perspective, everyone has some background, some knowledge, some familiarity with something, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has somewhere to start. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to do is recognize that, man, I don't know everything, but I do know something. I know what my risk tolerance is. I know where my interests are. I know kind of generally where my goals and objectives are, right? And so I can start to kind of put together a strategy that will start to point me in that direction as opposed to taking a little bit of this, taking a little bit of that, 
throwing it against the wall and hoping that something sticks, yeah. right? So instead of taking that buffet approach, actually doing some analysis of what do I know? What am I drawn to? What am I interested in? Do I have any prior knowledge or experience or expertise with certain assets or asset classes or companies and starting to kind of build from there? Hmm. And I love the hierarchy because it really does give us sort of our blueprint for how to build our financial game plan, right? If, if we don't have tier one established, right? Yeah. If we don't have the foundation securely in place, we've got no business jumping to the tip top of the, yeah. the hierarchy, right? You've got to start it and you've got to continue it in the proper sequence. Yeah. So, here's how I look at it. These are great points. Thank you for those comments because it's made me think about the idea and principle of certainty. And it's interesting. It's like human beings have this drive toward both certainty and uncertainty. Right. Right. And uncertainty is variety, right? It's doing new things. It's experiencing, right. you know, going on a roller coaster. It's so I think that we have this like internal drive to do that. And I think sometimes, you know, choosing from the buffet of, yeah. of financial options, it kind of like it appeals sometimes to that, yeah. that internal drive. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. Wow, that looks and that, pretty good. And that's yeah. why, you know, we've developed the hierarchy of wealth is because the foundation, right, is the certainty, right? right? And that's where, you know, we have certain characteristics and criteria. We teach the wealth maximization account and we use right. that for the characteristics that it has. But then above that is when the degree of uncertainty sets in. And there's right. three tiers above that, right? There's tier two, tier three, and tier four. So, in each level up, the degree of uncertainty, you know, increases, uh, increases yeah. right? So, the idea is, okay, once your foundation is set, now it can properly balance the pursuit of this, this uncertainty, this variety of different things that you may do. Right. So, let's maybe talk about tier two and tier three okay. and some of the characteristics there. And then I'm going to use some examples as far as some bad decisions that I've made, also some bad decisions that I know clients have made, actual experiences. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So do you, you want me to speak yeah to go to tier, tier two? two. So how okay. do you look at tier two? So the way that I you know if I'm walking through the hierarchy with clients, which I do, the way that I explain it is similar to what you just said, where it's each layer, each tier that we're building on top of the previous. There's maybe a little bit more risk or a little bit less control or a little bit less certainty with the previous, right? So we don't really have license to take on a bunch of uncertainty and give up a bunch of control mm -hmm. if we don't have the most secure, the most control, the least amount of risk established. And so for me that, you know, obviously that bottom layer, like you said, but as we're stepping into tier two and maybe it's a little bit less certain, a little bit riskier, a little bit less control. Well, I'm going to look at assets like real estate and obviously real estate's a broad category in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So for me, what I define as a good solid tier two asset would be, you know, the good sort of buy and hold three bed, two bath kind of rental property, mm -hmm. right? Where I'm not, because again, going back to my own experience, my own expertise, my wife would tell you, I have basically zero construction, knowledge, expertise, ability, Somehow uh, I even I, I think I have your gene too. Do you? Yeah, I do. Good. It's I a do. handy yeah. gene to have sometimes. Yeah, sure. You know, it gets you out you of You still having... cut your lawn though. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a separate podcast in and of itself. We could talk about an entire <laughs> episode on lawn maintenance, but I'll mess up an IKEA piece of furniture, right? That's how bad I am. So in other words, a flip. Man, I got no business in a flip mm -hmm. because I have no idea what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's being done correctly. Mm -hmm. No clue, no concept. That is outside of my area of expertise. But I understand buying a property, 
I understand what metrics to look at when it comes to, you know, rent relative to purchase price and some of those things. And so a good, solid, tangible asset like a piece of real estate, a rental property is a fantastic tier two asset for me. Hmm. Or for somebody else, it might be starting a business, right? It's something that you have control over. It's something that you can impact. Hmm. You're not surrendering control to somebody else. You're not leaving it up to chance. When hmm. you wake up in the morning, you're not looking at the ticker and finding that, oh man, the market is in the toilet today and you had no control. That's not a tier two asset, hmm. right? So we're looking at something that, yeah, might be a little bit less control, a little bit less certain, a little bit more risk than that bottom layer. Mm -hmm. But we want to be careful about how much additional risk we're taking on or how much uncertainty we're moving into. At least that's my philosophy. So I'm going to deviate a second. Okay. And uh, this comes to some stuff I've been thinking about lately. I don't want to get into you know failures of and some bad decisions that I've made and clients have made. But I look at you know just some of the events that occurred last couple of years, right? You had Robin Williams commit suicide. You yeah. had Kate Spade. And then who's the other? Uh, Anthony Bourdain, right? Oh, yeah. And then there's others as well. And so the thoughts that I've had is here you have individuals, you have human beings, right? Who achieved what I think some people are after, right? Yeah. People are after, you know, what they consider financial independence, financial freedom to be at a certain level, right? To be successful here, to be successful there, to have a lot of money here, a lot of money there. And I would argue that that's financial freedom. That might not be freedom, yeah. right? And so I look sure. at, you know, tier two. And for me, I just had a conversation with a client an hour ago, but tier two for me is a lot of investment in yourself, right? Sure. And I look at Good point. where people are at and, and a lot of what they want to become independent from or free from, right? is something that they don't like to do, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do. Right. So I've joined, you know, inner circle of Tony Robbins, which is called Platinum Partners. And so I've really been listening to a lot of his material. And there's something that really hit me. And he said that a fulfilling life, you have to spend between 15, 60% doing meaningful things, right? And it's really the discovery of that that I don't think most people ever venture to do. And sure. meaningful things is something that drives you, something you're inspired yeah. by, something that you know makes a difference. It aligns with who you are, your talents, your abilities, your strengths. And the discovery of that, I think, is part of tier two. Because sure. you said, you know, one of the things is potentially starting a business, right? Yeah. I look at retirement is an idea of escaping something, right? right? You stop doing what you don't like doing, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do because I think a part of you dies when you're not contributing. Agree. Yeah. And so I look at, you know, the meaningful things people do and what drives them and why they thrive, right? And it's not because they make a lot of money, right? right. But because there's this, you know, another interest in it besides that. Right. And so I look at tier two is where you can take assessments, right? You can take StrengthsFinder 2.0, you can take Colby, Disc, Myers-Briggs. There's a, a number of them out, right. out there, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea is to understand more about you, right. right? And it's also to just dig deep and really start to pay attention and put some glasses on where you can see the world and, and the things that you enjoy doing, right? Yeah. Things that make a difference. And then it's starting to pursue a business that revolves around that, right? right? And so if you look at, you know, tier two, tier two, some of the criteria is things that you have more control over, but right. still have an element of uncertainty. Sure. Okay. And real estate has that, but at the same time, there's still a degree of control that you have, especially right. with how you determine markets, how you determine rents and values and how you determine down payments and how you determine, you know, mortgage payments versus rents. Right. You know, it's one of those things where it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, sure. to have a good piece of real estate, right? And right. it's somewhat passive, right? Okay? And then you look at other investments to make. I mean, there's an article that I wrote 
few years ago, and I mentioned it, the idea in the book, which is you know how to get a 10% raise for life, right? So getting a 10%, ra- most people get a 3% raise for right. life, right? Yep. And so if you look at a 30-year career, someone that makes $100,000 will earn just shy of $5 million total earnings, total earnings. with a 3% increase yearly. If you make a 10% increase yearly, okay, the earnings are almost 17 million. Whoa. Right. So it's a huge Dude. difference. 11 or so million dollars, a little over $11 right. million. Dollars. So if you think about it, okay, what's the difference between someone that gets a 3% raise and someone that gets a 10% raise? Well, 3% raise is because cost of living, cost of living. right? It's standard. But if you look at 10%, it's because somebody has figured out a way to create more value in either that capacity or another capacity. Right. Right. They get a certification, they learn management, they learn leadership, they learn, you know, how to do marketing. They learn things that create more value for right. an employer or for customers. Right. Okay. That's the idea. But I think everyone really, that opportunity is available to everyone. It's where you have the most control when it comes to taking risks or, right. or delving into the realm of uncertainty. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where all of us can think about times where we've done something meaningful, right? Maybe it's giving to a charitable organization or serving in some way. And just the feeling of invigoration that comes from that, right? It just makes you fire on all cylinders. And so if you can start to, like you're saying, if you can start to make that a part of what you do just as a matter of practice, like how much more driven are you going to be to get out of bed in the morning, to work harder, to be better, to produce more, right? It's, you know, think about somebody who's kind of stuck in a job that they really don't enjoy and how deflating that is Mm -hmm. and demotivating and difficult life can be and unhappy. And then flip that completely 180 degrees the opposite and you start to invest in yourself and to fuel what drives you. Mm -hmm. Man, that's huge. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. My book, the Amazon bestseller, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, a financial strategy to reignite the American dream is completely changing the way people look at saving, wealth, and retirement. Want a sneak peek? Head on over to www.headsortailsiwin.com forward slash podcast for a free audio and text download of my favorite chapter. Again, that's headsortailsiwin.com forward slash podcast. So let's talk about some failures. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, I mean, we're hitting on things that we've hit on before, right? But again, it's going into the context of what's the purpose of being financially successful? What's the end end result? To escape or to support or help to buffer doing the most meaningful things according to what makes the biggest difference in your life and in other people's lives, Right. right? All right. So the failure side of things, again, I look at all the decisions you make and you want to have trustworthy people in your life. But at the same time, you have to look back and say, everyone has fallibility, right? right? They make mistakes, they make bad calls. And rarely is an investment opportunity going to tell you not to invest with them, right? They're going to tell you to invest. They want your money, right? (laughs) That's why they have income. And so you have to look at that. And then that, you know, essentially gives you the area in which you can ask questions. You can dig a little bit deeper. You can verify, you can check and use your financial education to make a decision. But oftentimes, you know, that comes as the result of not doing it, right? You just say, oh, that guy sounds like a, a credible guy. Sure, I'll write yep. him a check. Here's my know? check. <laughs> All right. This is a mistake that I made a number of years ago. This is probably 2004, 2005. But I remember I was invited to this person's house, right? So it was like this in Utah, you know, there's two things that happen at people's houses, right? The first thing is, you know, it's like a MLM or network marketing company. <laughs> sure. I try to have you you know, sell the vitamins or the juices yeah, or whatever. Yeah. 
or it's some like investment or business thing. Yeah. Right? All right. So I've been to both and I didn't really <laughs> grow up here, but I learned like whenever you get that call, you know, I have this business idea and you're a business guy. I think you should come and attend. Yeah. Oh, cool. That sounds good. Yeah. So anyway, it's one of those two things. So this was an investment one, right? Okay. And the investment opportunity was like some fish farm in Puerto Rico and they had this like proprietary way to breed fish and, you know, mm. it was interesting. It sounded really cool. And the name of the company that did it was Winsum. It was Winsum. Winsum. Sum, you know, so that should have been a sign. <laughs> yeah. It's like, mate, you know, investing with Bernie Madoff, like yeah. Madoff, he made a guy that's getting made off with, with made off with your money. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it was like, I think it was- uh, Winsum, tw- Winsum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> $20,000 in investment, right? And I never saw, you know, anything from oh. it, right? And it was one of those things where- you know, Did your the, neighbor move? This, no, it was a group of oh. people that was in Sandy, right? Okay. So it was about 30 minutes away. Near where you <laughs> near where I live. Anyway, so this is, you know, it's an investment that went bad because the guy just, you know, he had that, the actual fish farm like existed. Yeah. It's just, you know, they had nobody to sell the fish to. Ah. Right? So anyway, it so was- they were breeding was, them like crazy, but they didn't have- Yeah. So what was cool was this guy actually went to prison and I, this was maybe two or three years after this occurred. It was right, you know, during the time where I had tons of, you know, different failure business-wise, yeah. but I actually was called in to an FBI office oh. in, uh, and I've never told you this story, huh? No. Yeah. So there's this like secret, like there's a building here in Salt Lake. In the building, there's like three floors of FBI. I never knew that. And uh, so anyway, I went in there and it was like, there's no like signs or whatever. Yeah. I go into no this windows. like huge boardroom and there's people everywhere. Plus there's people like on conference calls. So there's this like horseshoe thing and I come in- <laughs> So it was interesting. They just asked me questions like, okay, how did you hear about this guy? You know, what happened? How much did you invest? What type of communication did you receive from him? It was a really interesting experience, but I learned, you know, more about what this guy did. And it wasn't just people in Utah. There was a bunch of other states. It's one of those things where every single person that gave this guy money, right? And it was millions of dollars, right? It was done by trusting that he knew what he was doing, Right. right? Nobody asked questions about you know, okay, so who are your customers? Yeah. Do you have contracts? Can I see those contracts? Right, right. You know, let me see the business plan. Okay? Right. Who else is on your team? Yeah. Right. Who's doing the marketing? Who's doing, you know, the operations? I think he was in Texas. You're in Texas. So who's running the thing in Puerto Rico? Right. Right. So it's one of those things where nobody was asking those questions. All the questions were, what's the rate of return? Right. Right. When am I going to get my money? Right. Do I get it monthly? Do I get it quarterly? How much is it? Could I get more? Right. All had to do with the financial details. Right. Right. Not the principles, the values, the operations. <laughs> okay. So that was one of the more crazy investments that I heard of. Then I'll just give one that will make everybody laugh. Uh, so this was maybe about a year ago now. Right. And we started getting lots of people who were interested in cryptocurrency. Sure. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we were talking to them and explaining, you know, the hierarchy of wealth and how to, you know, position assets. And people started to, tell us that they were refinancing their homes and cashing out everything and putting their money in Bitcoin. Oh. And this is when Bitcoin was probably, you know, eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars yeah. and they were they were convinced that Bitcoin was going to a hundred thousand dollars and that mm-hmm. was going to be the key to their, their retirement. Success, yeah. Right. And this is just like, you know, an example that sounds ridiculous, but it was happening a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it was a number of instances and, you know, there's another one too, which is the Iraqi dinar. dinar. That's oh, a, yeah. You know, it's something where this was probably five, six years mm-hmm. ago, and we started yeah. to get these type of calls where people were like, I'm coming into this large sum of money, yep. which is to the tune of, 
you know, potentially, you know, $500 million. Oh, yeah. And, yep. you know, I need a place to put that once I, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get into the details of that. There's plenty of information online, right? right? right. But individuals, the uncertainty, right, that they're in pursuit of, okay, is, and it's natural. It's not like people wake up one morning and like, I'm going to go pursue uncertainty, right? right? It's one of those like natural drives that compels us right. to, to want variety. Yeah. And we realize that, but at the same time, once you realize it, now you have to kind of position things so that you don't let that get in the way from making good decisions. Yeah, good and I would say, decisions. you know, there's a number of people that I talk to that have uh, lost money, lost investments, and they sure. value what we do a lot more than those that haven't lost money. But at the same time, I look at that as just a very powerful tuition. It's an investment, yeah. right? And it's an investment in your future. And to look at it like that, I got off the phone recently with the guy. He was a dentist, really successful and, you know, made really bad decisions. It cost him half a million dollars. Right. And he's like, I want to make up for lost time. And I'm like, you didn't lose time. Right. Right. You actually gain time if you think about it, because you learned some valuable lessons, yeah. right? They're going to be essential, you know, as you expand your practice and as you raise your family and as you determine what your future looks like. Right. right? So anyway, it's one of those things where, you know, financial decisions are I mean, you're going to have so many of them throughout your life, whether yeah. it's purchase decisions, whether it's investment decisions, whether it's what you do with your career. Okay. And so we advocate that, you know, having a foundation of certainty, which consists of financial education, yep. okay, as well as certain assets and structure, right? That allows you to buffer the uncertain decisions right. that you make. That's where you start. And it's also, I would say, to understand the values and the principles that underlie all of these decisions. And sometimes, you know, that's the discovery of your strengths, your purpose, your mission, your calling, the pursuit of that meaningful work. Perfect. I think this is a good time to kind of break so we can get into part two. Perfect. Yeah. Where Sounds we good. are going to be reviewing an article of a woman who studied 600 millionaires Whoa. and she discovered where you choose to live has two effects on your ability hmm. to build wealth. Interesting. Okay. So we're going to talk about that nice and we're going to take the contrarian her opinions heads this we're, is tales? we're going to play tales all right all right like all right tales. so uh, stick with us till next week for uh, the second segment of what do we want to call this financial friday but financial friday with will a yes. street yeah i think that sounds that's good, a good ring to it yeah that sounds pretty good <laughs> okay all right thanks everyone we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the wealth standard podcast be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Lord from the sun.